Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. Joining me today as part of our Women at the Helm series is the Director of Community and Public Affairs for Atlanta's WSB-TV, Condice Presley. She is an award-winning broadcast journalist with decades of experience and host of the radio show and podcast, Perspectives. She's former president of both the Atlanta and National Association of Black Journalists. Condice is a University of Georgia alum and member of both the Georgia Radio and Georgia Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Condice gave us a behind-the-scenes understanding of what it takes to make the news. Product needed to be ready for the radio broadcast when you woke up. So we were always up in the overnights making sure that everything was ready so that when your alarm clock woke you up, you got all the information that you were expecting. If you thought listening to the news last year was hard, imagine what it's like to present it the interaction with the general public has has not always been positive. And, and to be seen as a person of color before being seen as a professional journalist who is only doing his or her job can, again, uh, be stressful. Self-care is critical, especially when it feels like you just don't have the time. The first thing I had to realize was that if I don't take care of me, no one else will. And that was a big time aha moment for me, and I'm sure it is for others, especially in any profession where you are tasked with leading, where you have an abundance of responsibility. Condis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be here. First, I just wanted to express my sincere gratitude for your radio show and podcast Perspectives, now in its 33rd season. You're covering so many hard topics, but with a frame that helps your audience process emotionally and connect the stories your guests tell to their own lives. It's so powerful. That's a wonderful compliment. Thank you so much. I can only say that I hope that in all of this time, the program has gotten better rather than worse because, you know, it's a muscle and we just keep exercising it. I have to admit that I'm a great person to have around if you need medical attention, but I'm way out of my league when I try to understand what it means to be a director of community and public affairs. So for those of us not in journalism, could you describe for us what you do? Absolutely. Uh, it's a big, long title that says I'm a people person. And for what I do uh, for WSB Television, which is the ABC affiliate in Atlanta, as the director of community and public affairs, I am the person person who is the public face of the television station in the community. That means I have an opportunity to serve on a number of uh, community boards and activities. And primarily, my job responsibility is to lead and direct what we have is a program that we call our Family to Family Program. It is the oldest and longest running community service program of any television station in the United States. And it is supported by a, a team of uh, underwriters and advertisers in the community who work with us to make sure that we have an opportunity to afford nonprofit organizations who could never afford with the cash uh, PSA time on a television station. We are able to provide that wow. to them for free. We produce six half hour specials that air over the course of a calendar year that deal with uh, uh, quality of life, education, health, public safety, those sorts of things. So it's it's a big bucket to say that I'm the, the face of the TV station to the Metro Atlanta community. 
Wow, big, big. I knew it was big, but just didn't understand just how big. <laughs> In preparation for our interview today, I came across your recordings for the video oral history collection called The History Makers. Civic engagement seems to run in your blood. I started my my career as uh, I, I have a journalism degree from the University of Georgia, broadcast news, and spent the better part of my career in radio journalism. And always in that I've had a need and a passion for others. And in addition to whatever I was doing on my daily nine to five, I also wanted to serve in the community. I've always been that, I was always that girl who I didn't necessarily sit on the front row in the class. I was kind of in the middle, maybe sometimes in the back, but I would still <laughs> raise my hand and, and say, I'd like to do that, or I'd like to help. And one of the, the, greatest rewards of, of the work that I'm able to do now, I'm still raising my hand and helping out, but also we're in a position to connect like-minded people, like-minded organizations to do work that moves our community forward. You've covered the major happenings of our times and interviewed fascinating people, civil rights leaders like Zernona Clayton, uh, were popping off the page for me. You've worked with multiple Atlanta mayors. You've met several U.S. presidents. So am I to understand it's Carter, Reagan, Clinton, and there's one more. Obama. Obama, of course. Wonderful. <laughs> What's been the most surprising response you've ever received from a, a president? Well, the, the thing with, with any high-profile individual that any of us might come into contact with is they're people just like us. And before they became and uh, attained these, you know, outstanding leadership roles, they were just like you and me trying to get the day-to-day -day done to achieve their goals, to make change in their communities. And with respect to our presidents, they're just making change on a much larger scale. But so presidents are people too? Presidents are people too. I was just listening to your interview of obstetrician Dr. Melody McLeod on your show, Perspectives, the story of Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, who was the first black female doctor to practice medicine in the United States, was completely unknown to me. And I'm someone who really cares deeply about these things. I was heartbroken to hear of my lost professional heritage. I wasn't aware of the Rebecca Lee Society. I didn't know it even existed when I was in medical school. Sometimes when I learn of women like Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, I think if she could do it then, I can certainly do it now. Imagine that. I don't, don't feel bad because one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to Dr. McLeod about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler was because I'd never heard of her either. And I pride myself on mm -hmm. knowing many of those little known stories when it comes to black history. And she said, well, she was the first black female physician born in 1931 and was a woman who had attended college, uh, was able to read because again, 1931, she was a child pre-Civil War. Now she wasn't a child from the South. She'd grown up in the North. So there were different circumstances for her. But even after she finished medical school and began to practice, the patients that she cared for were the patients that the white doctors would not touch. So 1831, was she born in 1831? Yes, she was born in 1831. Oh my goodness. Uh, it's amazing to me. Um, when I think I have it hard, it really helps to know those those facts. <laughs> Condice, you've been in journalism 
for, is it more than 30 years I have been in journalism for more than 30 years. I sometimes hide the number, and other days like today, we're going to say it proudly. (laughs) Seen a lot. (laughs) What keeps you going on the airwaves? The thing that I love most about what I do, and I, I said this when I first began my career, and I say it each and every day, I learn something new every day. No day for me is 100% the same. Now, certainly there are elements of our days that are routine and somewhat predictable, but no day is exactly like the day before. And that is one of the things that I love so much about what I do, that and that I get to meet interesting people that most people will never have an opportunity to meet. I get to go places when we were traveling that most people don't ordinarily get to go. And then I get paid to tell others what they said. How great a gig is that? Well, some people would say, you know, the variety is a little much for them. Some people don't like to travel, but you say it suits you really well. I've had an opportunity over the course of my career when there was uh, someone who didn't want to or for whatever reason could not cover a story. I was I raised my hand and I said, hey, I'll do that. I have I have covered sports. I was a sports reporter early on where I got to go to the, the, when the Atlanta Braves had their worst to first season in 1991 and advanced to the World Series against the Twins in Minneapolis. I went to the NLCS in Pittsburgh, and then I went to the World Series in Minneapolis. And my role was to cover the stories that were not necessarily sidebar stories, but the ones that made the, the top blocks of the news. Because while we told the stories about the athletes in the games and the, you know, the, the, the basics of the sport, you know, at the time it was the Atlanta Braves versus the Minnesota Twins. And so there was a story to be told about the Native American community and their concerns about the names of the teams. And that was my job. And I, I loved it. It was great. I've been to the Olympics. The, granted, the Olympics were in Atlanta, but I still I got to go to the Olympics. <laughs> you still got to go. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. You've been to the Super Bowl. I've been to a Super couple Bowls. of Super Bowls. That's right. How do you think uh, journalism has changed for women over this time, especially in the higher ranks? I would say especially this year, 2021, after the summer we experienced in 2020 plus COVID, uh, corporate America is finally seeing all women, uh, black women, white women, women of other ethnicities, for the strengths that we bring to the table. And we are beginning to see us advance into some of those senior leadership positions. Uh, I know that we are certainly seeing more of it in in my field of journalism, where the head of CBS News is is a woman. Uh, There's about to be a new hire at ABC News. It'll be interesting to see whom the network taps for that job. But, you know, we are finally being and it's funny to say finally, because so much has really happened in such a short period of time. If you think about the Voting Rights Act and how long women of color have actually had the right to vote. It's only been, this will be 56 years. That's that's a very right. short period of time. Um, so it's, it's exciting to see that we are tr- genuinely coming into our own. And I am excited to see what happens next and whether this, 
social justice revolution that our nation is engaged in and the, the cultural reckoning that we seem to be observing, at least I am as a journalist, uh, if it is sustainable and will go uh, much beyond being something that was of interest for a few weeks or a few months to whether we are actually going to see some of the systemic racism in our society genuinely uh, dismantled. Absolutely. So we, we started our conversation back in 1831, and now we've, we've seen tremendous change from the, the time when white doctors wouldn't even touch slaves all the way to 1965 and the tremendous changes that occurred for us there. And so it's easy to think of 50 years as a short time when we think of the arc of history. Other folks are feeling really impatient with how COVID seems to have driven a huge wedge and allowed human potential to just drip down the drain. Indeed, because there were, I can only imagine how many women among us especially were and I was one of them. I can remember going into 2020 and thinking it's a new year, it's a new decade, new numbers, being so excited about all of the potential and possibilities. And then for me anyway, on March 13th, all of that changed. Now, of course, I am blessed and, and highly favored in that I have a home and I have a job where I have been able to pivot and continue to do the work that I'm supposed to do from home. But the impact that COVID has had on so many others who have either had to remain on the front lines and go into work each and every day, putting their lives and the lives of their families at risk. I mean, what admiration I have for those. And then for others who are thinking about what they might do in the new year and have had to either press the pause button or were negatively impacted by the, the year and have have had to totally figure out, okay, now what's next? This is a really great time to bring up leadership because when things like a pandemic occur, leadership is so important in every field, across every sector. You said uh, the magic word, Condis, pivot, everyone looking to adapt to hard times and sometimes scary times for um for especially folks who are at most risk for the pandemic actually costing them their lives. How would you describe your leadership style? I have yet to put a phrase or a word to it, but I would say that I am a collaborative leader. Uh, I am someone who genuinely believes that it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as the work is done and that the work is done at the highest quality. Uh, I am someone who likes to lead by example. Over the course of my career, I've believed very strongly that I was, no matter what title I had earned, I was never too good to uh, do any job. And to that, I'd, I'd tell a, a short story in the 80s sometime, when I didn't have holidays off, uh, I was working over Thanksgiving and there was a story that was really big in the Atlanta area, uh, a very violent story that someone was sending mail bombs to the homes of judges. And there was a very prominent judge in Alabama who lost his life because somebody left a mail bomb at his front door. And the interesting thing was that the person behind it was sending letters to the media and to others taking credit. 
And to the point of never being too good to do anything, I, I don't know what my title was at the time, but I was working over that holiday break. And I thought, this guy's mailing letters to people. I wonder if we got one. And so what did I do? I went to the mail room. I got the, the big Whoa. bin of mail that had been stacking up during the week of Thanksgiving and started going through it. And lo and behold, yes, our organization had received one of those letters, which then helped us as a news organization advance the story and do some very important first person reporting on what this particular suspect was doing and what they were thinking. So I, wow. I don't know that I answered your question directly, but I like to think of myself as collaborative and one who leads by example, one who always has has something to learn and one who's always willing to teach others. And you're curious. You ask the right questions. How's it feel answering my questions? The tables feel turned? The table indeed has been turned. <laughs> what do you most enjoy about leading your team right now? I enjoy the people and I enjoy that we make a product that is, it's, it's not going to cure COVID, but what we have found in the last year with one of our products, which is a, a program called People to People, which airs on our, our local television station on Sundays, we discovered that the community has a desperate need for good news. And the news media is routinely criticized for only reporting things that are bad. Uh, nobody ever tells the story about the, the thousand planes that landed safely at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport today. We're only going to tell sure. the story about the one plane that, that skidded and, and almost, you know, there was a mishap. And certainly news is things, news is that, it's new. Those are things that have never happened. But with respect to the work that we're doing in community and public affairs at WSB Television and the stories that we tell on our program, People to People, and the guests that I'm able to interview for the radio program perspectives, it's not been the daily dirge of what's going on with COVID or what's going on in politics. And we shine a bright light on people in communities and organizations that are working to make a difference. And man, oh man, if we didn't see anything in the last year, we have seen people stepping up left and right to care for their neighbors. And that's just wonderful. It's, it is. It gives you a sense of common humanity, which uh, we, I think we are all craving that right now. We are. I'm fond of I'm fond of saying um, familiarity with stress is not the same as stress management. In my view, it's too bad stress management 101 isn't like a course we all take in college. Are there particular kinds of stress unique to journalism? Oh, absolutely, uh, because journalism is perceived as the rough draft of American history. So what? viewers see on the news or listeners hear on the radio or a news podcast or whatever you might be listening to, it has been edited and prepared for presentation to the audience. We see everything before it's edited. The things our people see that don't make air is enough to make your skin crawl. And for our oh, wow. journalists of color, especially, who were out in the streets of Atlanta during the protest last summer, and the interactions that many of them had with, with people, and not only the protest of last summer, but even the protests that we've seen 
in the fall after the election and the names that people have been called, it's it can be uh, it can trigger it it can really trigger somebody. And you know, I'm just really happy that our organization uh, cares enough about our workforce that twice already we had a mental health professional uh, come in and talk to our team about the pandemic and either we've got we've got three different groups of employees in our station right now we've got the people who go into work every day as if nothing ever happened we've got the people who are right. doing the work in the field but they can't come in the building and then you've got the the employees like me who have had to figure out a way to do everything that we would do in the office remotely and each of us has a different set of stresses and a different set of of observations and we've really worked to make sure that our team knows that there are resources available to them if it gets a little rough. And I know it has for some of us. It strikes me that having to adapt quickly is is a stressor in what you've just described. Outside of just, just the pandemic, I'm using you know, my air quotes, but outside of that, those protests were historic and all of a sudden needing to cover them and make sense of the narratives um, that's quite responsibility that happens so suddenly. Um, is do you think that that's a particularly unique stress to journalism? Indeed, it is because our goal every day in our presentation of of news and information is to be is to present facts. And if we use facts as an mm-hmm. acronym, it's we have to do the work fast. We want to make sure that it's accurate. We have to present it in a concise manner, and then it needs to be true. I mean, that's the objective each and every day. But the news consumer must accept and consider that whomever is is bringing you this story with the facts also brings their own level of life and personal experience to how they tell the story. So now are we asking uh, our reporters to, if I sort of see my life this way and these are sort of the things that I've always thought, is that person now making an extra effort to talk to someone and get that interview who might have a differing point of view to make sure that there is also that necessary balance in the story? And then for 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 reporters of color, especially covering uh, any of the protests that we've had to cover in the last year, whether they be post-George Floyd or whether they be post the election, uh, the interaction with the general public has has not always been positive. And, and to be seen as a person of color before being seen as a professional journalist who is only doing his or her job can, again, uh, be stressful and could perhaps trigger someone. Absolutely. I see that. News reporting also seems really hard on the body. You're up at night, work long hours, you expect the unexpected, it happens right before your eyes, and so there's this reaction to that. Um, is it just that you guys love adrenaline? What What is that about? You know, you choose this for yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. We're, you, 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 you got a 100 on that test. We chose this life. Yes. And, and again, we chose it because journalism is not a profession. I mean, it is a profession, but it is more so a calling uh, because we all have a passion for storytelling and truth-telling and informing and educating the community. Uh, Do we want this never-ending news cycle to take a break? What we wouldn't give for a slow news day? My kingdom for a slow news day. We have not had one 
for now going into 11 months and each day is just sure. more and more intense. And so, yeah, we've had some people and myself included where you just, you kind of hit that wall. And the important thing is to tell somebody, Hey, I'm, I'm hitting the wall. I got to do something. I need a day. I need a half day. I, I've got to stop and process because it, it's, it's been more than much. Sure. Just the, the sheer barrage of information that is necessary to go through to do what you do is it's so much for the human mind. I, I am hats off to you all. My goodness. You spoke about um, the emotional toll for reporters, especially for their personal emotions becoming triggered. What about kind of enduring the emotions of others whose stories you all get to tell? Is is that a stress? The empathy that must also be triggered for other people who are suffering and it's not your own? Empathy is 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 an asset that that everyone uh, in our in our business should have. And I think that is met with uh, compassion for the people we cover and for the privilege of being able to sit with them. Um, and to allow them to share their stories, you know, unvarnished, largely unedited, so that we can, again, promote greater understanding and let somebody who may not have that experience know uh, what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes. So it's, it's really more of a privilege, I would say. This is a good time for a short break. We'll be right back. Did you know, women only have about 15% share of the voice distributed by main media. Last year, only 21% of top charting podcasts had a female host. This is because we need more ratings and reviews. We need you. This is the only time we'll ever ask you to stop listening. Hit the pause button. Take the time right now to rate and review us. Help us change the stats. That way, we can be here when you're ready to listen again. My guest today is award-winning broadcast journalist and director of community and public affairs for Atlanta's WSB-TV, Condis Presley. We all work really hard and are rewarded with long, sought-after opportunities but the stress of an opportunity can be huge. Have you ever had a time like that where a promotion or sudden new recognition was a real source of stress for you? Oh, absolutely. Um, when I was in my mid to late 20s, I had an opportunity to, uh, I, I, I applied for a promotion to be the leader of our, our department. And I was already the number two and what, during the absence of, of, of my boss, I was acting in, in that role and I pitched for the gig and I didn't get it. And I was devastated. And I remember when I was told that I, I wasn't going to, to get the job and that the powers that be were going to go in another direction, uh, you know, there was a sense of, of, of rejection and a sense of not being good enough or not being worthy. And I wondered, do I stay and see what's going to happen next? Or, 
you know, do I take my marbles and go? And I, I stayed because at that moment I, had, I didn't have a plan B. And years later, I, I, I say that it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I was not ready for that promotion at that time. Uh, I likely would have failed. And then as a, a black woman in that role probably made it much more difficult for a white male manager or any sort of a manager to feel confident about bringing on someone who looked like me into that role because, well, you know, we tried that with Condes and it didn't work out. So um, it was tough. And I remember going home and I, I was I was so upset and I was fetal position on the couch and I cried and cried and cried and cried. But but again, now years later, it was it was part of my growth and learning experience. And it was the right thing at that time. And if that had not happened, I don't think I would be doing the things that I am doing today. Wow. Wow. Um, when I speak in front of groups of leaders, I tell them the body doesn't differentiate between good and bad stress. It's all just stress. Is there stress for you that is associated with performing in the limelight? Oh, gosh, yes. Uh, I, I'm much better about it now, but for the purposes of, of this conversation, and I've, I've told others this, I think, as well, but there were a couple of times when I, I had straight-up panic attacks and could not go on the air and had to, and I, I don't I don't remember what triggered the panic attack, if it was just something else that was going on in the newsroom that day back when I was on the radio, but I just thought that if I have to go into that booth and deliver a newscast, I'm going to freeze. And I told you know, one of my colleagues, I said, you know, I'm just not feeling well right now. It's written, just go do it. And I had to kind of go and compose myself. And, and that's happened to me a couple of times in my career. And there's always been what there was a time when I was producing uh, our morning program. And in that role, you kind of, I'm the, the gatherer and the organizer of everything that's going you were going to hear on the radio for the next two or three hours. And we have, um, the audio that we would play in the radio newscast was recorded on these tapes, as I use these antiquated terms, that looked like eight tracks, if you want to go all the way back, before everything was digital. And we would, and there was a, a rack on the wall where all of the pre-recorded sound lived on these, what looked like eight track tapes. And there might be 15 or 20 pieces of sound that would air in a half hour newscast. And the producer's nightmare was always you pull and you line up all of that audio in the order that it's supposed to play and you stack it and then you give it to the anchors as they go into the booth. And the nightmare is I'm pulling sound for the 6 a.m. newscast and I gave them sound for the 6.30 newscast and everything. And I tell you, I'd wake up trembling every time. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's that's even stressful to me. And, you know, oh, <laughs> so uh, I have to, I'm going to come forward and say, I learned the value of good self-care through the school of hard knocks. When did you learn the value of good self-care? Because panic attacks are really scary, right? You feel like you're dying, yeah. right? And you're frozen and you, you can't do what you, you're meant to do. And so I just wonder if, you, if there was a pivotal moment for you or 
were lots of hard knocks. <laughs> uh, there were obviously the, the panic attacks were, were pretty clear, like uh, something's not right here. You should you should take care of it. And then, too, you mentioned earlier about the, the impact that stress can have on the body. And for many, many years, I worked one of those almost third shifts where I was up at three, 2.45 in the morning is actually when the alarm would go off to make sure that I was at work by, you know, before four, because when... A, Those are surgeon's hours. Did they pay you like a surgeon? Uh, no. And, so, <laughs> and, the, and the challenge was, you, because we have to be at work and, and the product needed to be ready for the radio broadcast when you woke up. So we were always up in the overnights making sure that everything was ready so that when your alarm clock woke up, woke you up, you got all the information that you were expected. You knew that the world was safe from overnight. You knew what the weather was going to be. So you knew how the weather was going to be a good hair day or a bad hair day and all those things. But the challenge with working those kind of hours uh, it comes with that. It's not It's not an eight-hour day. I mean, you think it's an eight-hour day. So, oh, yeah, I'm at work at four, so I should be done by noon. I was never done by noon. I was always, you, the day was over when the day was done. And that can certainly take a toll on one's health because then you're not sleeping the way, I, I, can, I don't want to even think about how many years that I got by on, you know, three or four hours of sleep, if that every night. Oh, my goodness. And we're talking years. Wow. And then, of course, that can impact your weight and all sorts of other things. So to answer your question, I did hit, I hit a wall, I hit another life wall where I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to have to find uh, something to do where I can feed my passion, you know, serve my soul and sleep at night. And one of the wonderful things about the role that I have now is that I, I can sleep at night. Just a, just just a little thing that you want. Can I sleep at night? Oh, you know, it's not so little, though, I found, I, I you know, just being able to sleep at night. I love it how, you know, there's also sleeping during the day, which, uh, you know, when we're working in the ER, we very commonly do. And there's just nothing like, quote unquote, a good night's sleep, is there? There's nothing better. Nothing better. What kinds of support have actually helped you in your career? What works in real life? You know, when you're doing such important things as you are, are there people that have supported you, systems that you have in place so that you can keep going? Oh, absolutely. Uh, obviously, family is, is critically important. Um, having loved ones with whom who, who don't know the intricacies of the business the way that you do, but for, with whom you can you can share the challenges uh, is, is, is so important. And one of the other uh, really great resources that I've had for more than 30 years is my professional association, the National Association of Black Journalists. And pre-COVID, we would get together uh, for an annual meeting every year. And quite honestly, it was just like a family reunion because here you were with all of these other people who are living the same life that you're living, going through the same challenges that you're experiencing. And it's just a great opportunity to share stories, uh, to rest, and then to recharge and to go back at it until we get together again. And so those are two, I think, uh, family and, and professional friends, that professional network that have been very helpful in managing uh, the stresses that go along with the day-to-day -day of this type of work. How do you take care of yourself? You know, with the self-care, everyone says self-care is so important, but when you have to be on for days at a time as 2020, the news cycle you just described, it just was, just kept coming. You described not being able to take a break. How are you taking care of yourself? The first thing I had to realize was that if I don't take care of me, no one else will. And that was a big time aha moment 
for me, and I'm sure it is for others, especially in any profession where you are tasked with leading, where you have an abundance of responsibility, where you're the first one or the only one in that role, all of the pressures that come with any situation that anybody might be in in their day-to-day, there was there was that epiphany. If I'm not looking after me, then it's, it's all over. So with that uh, realization, making a conscious decision on my own personal physical health, what am I eating? Sure. How am I eating? Mm-hmm. Uh, making rest a priority, even when you, there is no time to rest, making time for at least a day. And there were some of those seven day weeks we've had in the last year where you got to find at least a day not to get on a call, not to work and to just sit. So in addition to that, I garden, I grow things. Oh, and it, wow. I, I like flowers. I, I, I have a small vegetable garden and that is my, that is by and large my therapy, you know, getting out there and puttering with the tomatoes and the peppers and pruning the plants. And it gets me outside breathing fresh air and just connecting with, and it's just fun to grow something. My mom, I, I finally picked that up from my mom. She said, I wondered when you were going to pick up gardening. And I was like, well, I, <laughs> I got it now. And I'm very, and, and so, and then we're competitive too, cause she's really good at it. But, but the last couple of seasons, my tomatoes have done way better than hers. And so she's oh, like, wow. Mm-hmm. So there you oh, go. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> How do you protect your tomatoes from the squirrels? Do you do you have a a defensive uh, fort around them? <laughs> I, well, I, it's an invisible fort, and it's a you know I do a lot of reading and and found the the right uh, safe chemical that the smell that they hate because Lord knows oh, good. I have more I I hear them on the roof here in the office every day. They're like boom 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 boom, and I'm thinking. What? And then there's a tree in the window behind me, and I'll, I'll turn around, and I'll hear it, it'll be like, boom, 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 boom. And I look, and I see this squirrel, and right now, he's got a, I, I'm assuming it's a she, because she's got a mouthful of leaves, and I'm thinking, clearly, you are building a wicked nest on the roof of my house. I wish I could see it. So, But I, we have somehow found a way to cohabitate, because they're fun. I enjoy watching them. They're, they're, they're entertaining. <laughs> Condes, you've been so gracious with your time today. Thank you. Would you be willing to share a few top takeaways for us? Wow, top takeaways. Certainly, I I think, again, self-care in whatever it is that you're doing in your nine-to-five, your day-to-day with your your work, with your family, and you. Um, Find that time. Even if it's just a couple of hours to to pick up a new hobby, I I I've now I'm now making candles because I can't plant anything right now, but I have to do something. Wow. So I, <laughs> I I I've been burning, like most of my friends, I keep uh, candles burning in the house to make sure that I can still smell, so that you know I have to go get a test and think, oh my gosh, something's wrong. <laughs> so after a year of burning That's candles, love. <laughs> after a year of burning candles just to make sure that I didn't have the virus, <laughs> I all these leftovers. I'm wondering, well, what do I do with these things? And I well. Thank you. Thank you, YouTube. Learn how to melt those down, <laughs> recycle them. And then with that, I was like, well, this sounds like fun. So now I, I, my, my winter hobby is making candles. I mean, some people do puzzles. I'm, I'm making candles. So 
Uh, I love to read. Key takeaway number one, become a candle maker <laughs> so that you can ensure you can smell. That is great. I love that. Maximize your time. <laughs> Maximize your time. But yes, takeaway number one, uh, find something new to do. Find something that is absolutely not in your everyday, everyday. Uh, number two, take time for you. Even when you think that you don't have time, take the time. It may only be 15 minutes and you just sit and do nothing. There's something to be said for doing nothing. We've made a, a, a business and a practice out of being busy, and I'm learning that that's not the best thing to do. And uh, right now, number three is to find a way to stay connected, especially if you are a professional woman and you don't have a family. I, I'm a single girl, and there's nobody here in this house but me. But I've, I've, I'm connected with friends. I, I've joined a couple of book clubs, and I have scheduled activities that take me out of the realm of my normal day and what I'm normally thinking about and catapult me into another world. Condice Presley, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for being fabulous. You're very kind. Thank you for the invitation. If you like what you hear on Hello Health today, please support the show. You can do that by taking some time right now to rate and review us. It helps other people find us. Subscribe now so Hello Health today is automatically loaded into your feed. Until next time, remember, today is good. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician-patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.